Hi there. The reading is from a chapter of a um, book of Luke. Um, it's page 855 in the Bibles that are in the seats there. So we're reading from verse 26 to 38 of Luke chapter 1, page 855. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is in the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it, to be, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thanks, Rosalind. If you'd like to keep that passage open in front of you, we're going to look at that together. And as we do that, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, uh, and we thank you for the time that we can spend uh, gathered around it now. And Lord, we pray that as we do, uh, that we might encounter you, that by your Spirit, you would be at work in our midst. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I once heard the story of a young man who thought it would be fun to turn up at a midweek Christian meeting and heckle a speaker. So he and his mates turned up at the local YMCA and gathered at the back of the hall uh, to disrupt the meeting. Uh, as the speaker got up to, to begin, it turned out that he was no older than the, the man who had turned up to heckle, a young guy called John. And he stood up and began explaining the message of Jesus. And in that moment, something happened in the young heckler. He was stunned by what he heard and came under a deep conviction of his sin. And the encounter that he experienced that night began in him a process uh, that eventually led to him putting his faith in Jesus and going on to serve as a minister, uh, leading people to Jesus for the next 40 years. Sometimes there are moments that we experience, moments that can shape the course of our lives from that day forward. Life-changing encounters that can have a profound effect on the way that our lives unfold. And the passage that was just read to us is one such encounter. 
What we have here in Luke chapter 1 is a life-changing moment. But it's life-changing not just for this teenage girl from Nazareth. It's a moment that has life-changing implications for the entire world. What happens in Luke chapter 1 matters for each one of us here today. Now, I want us to, to see why that's the case. And we, we, we understand that when we realize who this announcement is made to. If you look with me at verse 26, it says there, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now notice there where Gabriel was sent to. Uh, we're told that he was sent to the city of Nazareth. Now we are privileged to be right in the heart of Leith. And if you've been here any length of time, then you may have tired of hearing me say this, that Leith is by uh, an objective standard, Time Out magazine, the fourth coolest neighborhood in the world. Uh, our community has all sorts going for it. But Nazareth it really didn't have anything going for it at all. Uh, there wasn't even one coffee shop named Artisan. <laughs> there were no eclectic mix of international cuisines. The only good thing going for it, really, was the road out of there. In John's account of Jesus' life, uh, there's an encounter uh, with Nathaniel. Uh, and uh, when he hears that Jesus comes from Nazareth, he asks, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Obviously, Nathaniel didn't think so. So if you were going to send an angel anywhere, Nazareth would be the last place on your list. And yet that was the town that God chose to announce the birth of his son. It was the town that he sent Gabriel to. And notice who Gabriel visited in that town. A virgin called Mary. Now, Mary would have been a young woman in that, that culture. You married young. So she was probably in her early teenage years. In her village, she would have been seen as pretty insignificant, just a young girl. But that's who God sends his messenger to. It's Mary who God chooses to show his favor to. That's what we read, verse 28. And he, that's Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. You know, it's striking, isn't it? God could have chosen to give his son every head start in life. He could have sent the Gabriel, uh, Gabriel to, to a princess in a palace. Uh, it, there would have been every opportunity to give him privilege. But he doesn't do that. It is Mary who the Lord favored. A seemingly insignificant young girl in some backwater town that nobody cared about. You really couldn't get more humble beginnings for the birth of this baby. Now, why is that significant? Well, it's in that humility that we see something very important about the character of Jesus. If you were to read on through the rest of Luke's gospel, what you'd see is his, uh, Luke's continual emphasis on Jesus' care for those that society had little concern for, not least, women and poor. It comes up again and again throughout Luke's account. Throughout his life, Jesus had a deep concern for those uh, who society considered insignificant. 
The, the outcasts of society, they flocked to Jesus. And Jesus' critics accused him of associating with drunkards and prostitutes. Jesus welcomed people who were considered beyond the pale by the moral leaders of the day. And even in his birth, we, we see that he was a savior for anyone. That, that no one, rich or poor, male or female, young or old, was excluded from the offer of a relationship with him. You know, as we think about next week and we think about the, the carol service, uh, it, it's a great opportunity, as I said, to invite friends, colleagues, work, uh, colleagues, neighbors along uh, to hear about the message of Jesus. But one of the things that might hold us back from doing that is the belief that actually they just won't be interested, that it's not for them. But this passage is clear that, that the offer of Jesus, the offer of this life-changing encounter is one that extends to anyone. But what is it that's offered? What is so life-changing about this message? Well, it all has to do with the identity of this baby. If you look with me at, at, at verse 31, the angel says to Mary, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Now that title, son of the most high, it's a reference to an ancient prophecy that we, we read about in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Uh, the Most High was another name for God. So what Gabriel is doing in this announcement is he is declaring that God himself was about to come into this world in the person of his son. And he would do it through this young virgin. And that is the extraordinary claim at the heart of the Christmas story. The belief that the whole universe revolves around a first century Jewish baby. The, the reason that these verses are such a life-changing encounter for the whole human race is because of who this baby is. Christmas tells us that God has come to earth in a very particular way. He has come in the person of Jesus Christ. That the creator of the universe, the one who, who made all things and who sustains all things, in Jesus, he has shown us how to know him and how to have a relationship with him. And that has radical implications for every single person on this planet. And it's what makes an encounter with Jesus so life-changing. If you were to read the accounts of Jesus' life, you'd see that during his ministry, he claimed to be God. He said that he had the power to give life after death. He said that the only way to eternal life was to go through him. Those are huge claims. Now, lots of people are happy to pass Jesus off as a, as a, as a great man, as someone who was a, a moral teacher who had a profound impact on society. But if Jesus' claims aren't true, well then, really, he wouldn't be good at all, would he? He'd be hopelessly deluded, or he would be evil for leading so many people astray. But if they're true, then they have huge implications for our lives. Now, it may be that you're here today, and, and those are claims that, that would fill you with lots of doubts. Angelic visitations, virgin births, they are not exactly easy things to believe, are they? 
Uh, perhaps you doubt things like that could ever happen. Well, if you have doubts this morning, then you would be in good company because it's clear from this passage that Mary, she was full of doubts as well. We're told in verse 29 that, that when she first heard the angel Gabriel's message, she was greatly troubled. And when Gabriel tells her, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, Mary, she has a hard time believing it. She, she asks the obvious question, verse 34, uh, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, we might read that and think that, that Mary was pretty convinc convinced and she was just asking for a bit of clarity, uh, that folks back then were a lot more gullible than, and ready to happily accept virgin birth announcements from angels. But just as you or I would be, that's not an easy thing to, to get your head around, is it? She would have struggled to get her head around Gabriel's words. But it was a doubt that she held that was open to being convinced. You see, there are two types of doubt. There's closed-minded doubt and there is open-minded doubt. Closed-minded doubt says, you know, something like this is impossible. It could never happen. Uh, a virgin birth, it's just in the realms of fantasy and I'm not even going to begin to consider that. That's closed-minded doubt. Open-minded doubt says, this does seem completely crazy, but I'm willing to suspend my disbelief and engage with the possibility that it might be true, that there might be answers to my doubts, that I might not know everything. When it comes to the Christmas story, we can come at it with closed minds, or we can come at it with open minds. We can approach it with a refusal to engage with the possibility that it might be true. Or we can come with an openness that there might be answers to our doubts. And it was that kind of open-minded doubt that Mary exercised. She was open to seeing if her doubts had answers. And that's exactly what the angel gave her. We read verse 35, and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. If we approach the Christmas story with an open-minded doubt, what we find is that there are answers to our doubts. And the answer that we're given here is that this baby's conception would be a miraculous one. Now, that might just be the kind of answer that gives you even more doubts. Miracles are events that defy the laws of nature. And the very idea of a miracle might be enough for you to run a mile from the Christmas story. We live in the, the city of David Hume, and, 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 and Hume had a huge influence on the way that our modern mind thinks. Uh, he argued that miracles defied the laws of nature, nature therefore they were highly unlikely. And uh, today on the Royal Mile, you have a statue of him uh, sitting on a throne, crushing the Ten Commandments under his feet. Uh, one of his toes is, is very golden because people rub it for good luck. I'm not sure what he would have made of that. But if the idea of a miracle just seems beyond possibility for you because it defies the laws of nature, well, look with me at verse 37. The angel explains that nothing is impossible with God. See, if there is a God who created the laws of nature, well then surely He is the one who is in control of those laws. He has the power to, to suspend and rearrange those laws 
whenever he chooses to. To, to rule out the possibility of miracles, you would first have to rule out the existence of a creator God. But that is not something that you can prove. In fact, it takes a lot of faith to believe that there is no God. So the idea of a virgin birth is not as far-fetched as you might think. In fact, it's eminently possible for the God of the impossible. The gospel accounts are full of miraculous events. Water turned into wine, blind receiving their sight, sick people being healed, all done in the presence of eyewitnesses. Throughout Luke's account, he is careful to give details of people and places so that his first readers could do some fact-checking. They could go and they could speak to the people that he mentions in order to find out if these things really happened. That's how you verified historical events back then. And if they hadn't, then, then Luke's gospel would never have made it out of the first century with any credibility. You can bet your bottom dollar that, that Mary's pregnancy would have been the talk of the town in Nazareth. At that time, a young woman getting pregnant outside of wedlock definitely wouldn't have gone unnoticed. If Luke was making this stuff up, then someone in Nazareth would have come forward to expose it all as made-up nonsense. But that never happened. When it comes to the Christmas story, there are answers to our doubts. And we have every reason to approach things with an open mind. Because if the message of Christmas is true, then we have everything to gain. And that's because of what this promised baby came to do. Now, uh, when it comes to naming a baby, that's a lot of pressure. Whatever name you give a child, they will carry it with them through the rest of their lives. Believe me, I know. But, but in Mary's case, the angel tells her what this baby is to be called. He says, verse 31, you shall call his name Jesus. Now, the name Jesus is full of significance. It means the Lord will save. So Jesus' name promises certainty where there's doubt. And that certainty is the certainty of salvation. The message of Christmas is that a Savior has been born, and that is wonderful news for our world. Why? Well, think of the world that Jesus was born into. His people were under the rule of the occupying Roman forces. His mother had to travel while pregnant to Bethlehem to give birth because that's what the emperor at the time demanded. It was a world of injustice. It was a world of oppression where the weak were exploited by the powerful. A world where poverty and suffering were everyday experiences, not least for Jesus' own family. Jesus was laid in an animal's feeding trough after Mary gave birth to him. And, and here we are, over 2,000 years later, and we're still living in the same world, aren't we? War, injustice, poverty, they still blight our world today. Our, our world isn't as it should be, because we aren't as we should be. Jesus once said that out of the human heart comes all manner of evil. And that's where, according to the Bible, the, the world's problems originate from, from the human heart. That's interesting, isn't it? Because because we live in a world that tells us to follow our hearts, to, to do what feels good. But if we reflect on our lives, we can all think of ways in which we have misused that freedom. 
where the decision to follow our hearts has led to bitterness or regret or dissatisfaction with life. Why is that? Why is it that left to rule ourselves, we still know deep down that things aren't as they should be? Well, because the Bible says it's not the way we were created to live, is it? We were made to know God, to, to live under His loving rule. But as human beings, we instead followed our hearts and we rejected that rule. And that's really how the Bible describes sin. And it's that sin that puts us at enmity with God. And the only way that we can know peace with Him, the only way to know the fulfillment at the deepest level of our hearts is through a Savior. And that is why Jesus came. He came to save. He came to bring peace between us and God. Peace that's available to anyone who trusts in him. You see, Mary, despite her doubts, she, she responds in faith. We read verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary did not have all the answers. But even so, she chose to trust the angel's promise. And that decision to trust was huge for her. It meant giving up her right to follow her heart and instead surrendering her will to, to God. It meant an uncertain future, a, a pregnancy outside of wedlock, wedlock and, and all the public shame that would go with that. It meant giving birth far from home in treacherous conditions. One day it would, it would mean standing at the foot of a wooden cross, watching her son suffer the most humiliating, agonizing death imaginable. And he did that as he bore the sin for anyone who would put their faith in him. Mary's decision to surrender her own will and trust God's promise, it was costly for her. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, you might think that that is way too much of a commitment. Uh, maybe you don't think you have the faith that Mary had. But you see, Mary, she didn't know what we know. Mary heard a promise but had to wait for it to be fulfilled. But we stand on the other side of that promise. It's a promise that has already been fulfilled. We can see the way in which encountering Jesus transformed lives throughout Jesus' life and has transformed countless lives ever since. Not least the life of that young heckler that I mentioned at the beginning. I once had the privilege of speaking with the young man, John, who, who spoke that night at the YMCA. By this time, he was an old man. And I spoke with him on the 14th of December, 2008, the day after that young heckler died. I was able to thank John for the part that he played that night at the YMCA in introducing my dad to Jesus. Uh, this week will mark 15 years since my dad was called home, but that night, at the YMCA, it changed everything. Because my dad encountered Jesus, it means that amidst the grief, there is joy. That the birth of this baby all those years ago means that there is a sure and certain hope in the face of death. It's a hope that offers peace with God. It's a hope that offers forgiveness from even the things that we are most ashamed of. It's a hope that offers satisfaction at the deepest level. It's a hope that leads to eternal life. And it's a hope that belongs to anyone who would encounter Jesus and put their trust in him this Christmas. 
Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the hope there is in Jesus Christ this Christmas. And we thank you that an encounter with him can transform a life. And Lord God, as we uh, prepare for next week, as we come to gather together to, to worship you and to share the message of Christmas, Lord, we pray for those who we might consider inviting. We pray that we would have confidence that um, encountering Christ might completely transform their lives from that moment forward. And Lord, we pray that as we reflect, if we're Christians here today, on the way in which you've transformed our lives, that you would just refresh us and fill us anew with a deep gratitude for what you have done. Um, that, that we would seek to, to live for you and, and, and respond to you in, in, in love and obedience. And I pray for anyone here today who doesn't yet know you. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be at work in their hearts right now, drawing them to you, that they might encounter you, that may, they might see that the truth of the Christmas story, and that they might trust in you today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.